NATO is desperate in Ukraine. More Mondays on The Rob Manis Show. Welcome back, folks. It's good to see everybody. Uh, the Ukraine offensive continues, and we're now two weeks in with reported lousy results as uh, Russian heavy counteroffensive and defensive operations have smashed the Ukrainian armed forces in all of the contested areas from what we can see. Uh, thousands of pounds of scrap metal that were formerly known as German Leopard tanks, American Bradley fighting vehicles, French armored personnel carriers and their minesweepers now litter the battlefield. 7,500 men have, on the Ukraine side have been lost in 10 days and this is a massive failure. Of course, American leadership is now openly heavily involved in directing the military operations and likely have always been, with the inept General Mark Milley encouraging daylight armor attacks without air cover, and the disaster known as Victoria Newland even directing battlefield strategic timing with her July 12th agenda. Uh, so to speak. Uh, and we've got some breaking news from the National Pulse just before we came on the air that uh, Ukraine is pausing its offensive to reevaluate its tax tactics, and that's been confirmed uh, by some output from the uh, Pentagon, uh, if you can believe it. Uh, uh, I'm sure that they would never, ever lie to us. Well, let's take a Quick look at a formal update uh, from uh, an open source that's uh, somewhat independent. You'll see what I mean as you watch it, but it's a great update on the offensive. Hello there. People are giving me a bit of a hard time and saying, oh, how are you so certain that uh, Ukraine counteroffensive might smash through? I've been very adamant these Ukraine counteroffensives do to fail and people will die. Uh, let me take you through why, if you've never been in the military. Uh, very, very simply, you have a row of defences, and Ukraine haven't even got to those defences yet, and they're taking huge losses. Uh, you have a row of dragon's teeth. Now, they are concrete pillars about three foot high that go into the ground, and they're all arranged like dragon's teeth, um, so it holds you up. And normally, you would either blow the hell out of these with aircraft, which the Ukrainians haven't got, or you would have a team of engineers go in and blow them up. Um, first of all, you've got to get across the minefield in front of it uh, and round the sides of it. And then there'll normally be a minefield behind that. Then behind that, there'll be a tank ditch, uh, which is a huge chasm, uh, normally about six, seven feet down, and it's normally about 12 feet wide. And they normally fill that with a little bit of water at the bottom as well, so that when the tank nosedives into it, the tracks spin water up the sides and just make it much harder uh, for them to get out. Uh, then you'll have drones attacking you you'll have missiles attacking you and you will have artillery coming at you from all sides. Uh, when you get through that line, you'll then have V-shaped trenches uh, with people with anti-tank and all sorts of uh, rocket-propelled launchers aiming at you from the edges of these Vs. And they always build them in a V um, because if you have a long line, it's very, very easy to go down that line and kill everybody in it. If they're in a V-shape, much more difficult to clear that trench. Um, yeah, then that will get you through maybe the fourth or fifth line. Uh, and by that time, you have taken horrific casualties. There are planes, helicopters, uh, there is artillery shells, there are drones, there are missiles raining down you, as well as fire from the normal uh, Russian troops as well. Uh, it's hell on earth. 
and they've got those six or seven deep. Uh, they've also got machines that can fire mines behind you uh, once you advance uh, and mines in front of you to slow you down even more. And if you think that tanks are a good idea and that you can get through the Russian defences without air support and without bombers able, able to clear you a path, uh, the minesweepers have already been taken out. It's the first things that the Russians target. So when people turn around and say, is Ukraine, uh, Ukraine will this counter-offensive, they'll be wiped off, blah, 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 this, this, that, and the other. Absolute nonsense. Not going to happen. And NATO don't want this kind of savagery on their, their doorstep. They'd rather Eastern NATO go in, and they're not going to do that either. So your move next, NATO, and all you people in, you know, the comments who go Slavia, Ukraine, you're getting people killed. That's right. We're getting people killed. Uh, and uh, that clip showed the real truth. Uh, Mr. Warren Thornton, uh, our friend uh, over in the UK, uh, who has direct contacts on the ground on both sides now. Uh, he hears from soldiers from the Ukrainian armed forces and the Russian armed forces and non-government organization contacts that are uh, in or near the combat zones. Uh, uh, and gets that information. But right there, that's that's a UK Army sergeant veteran uh, that's telling the generals and the admirals that you don't do daylight armored uh, maneuvers up against heavily defended areas uh, in the daylight. Let me say that one more time. At daylight without air support that the Ukrainians we've been saying for weeks do not have anything that comes even close to adequate air support for their ground forces, uh, and they're attempting to pull off this counteroffensive uh, with nearly zero uh, combat aircraft that are flying close air support operations and air defense operations against the Russian Air Force, which does have uh, pretty much at will, at least on specific areas, uh, air dominance and air superiority over the entire uh, theater of operations. So let's see the uh, the two-week update from the uh, Clip One eyewitness source report. Leave much to be desired. After the Russian military withdrew from several villages south of Velikaya Novoselka, Ukrainian forces failed to secure their strongholds there. Heavy battles continue in Makarovka and near Urozhonoe, where the Russians are launching counterattacks, preventing Ukrainian troops from advancing further southward. Positional battles have been ongoing in the area of Orokov, where NATO main battle tanks are bogged down in the rain-washed steppes. Meanwhile, the Ukrainian military has begun operations in the Kherson region, where Kiev recently destroyed the dam of the Kakovskaya HPP. Despite Kiev's attempts to blame Russia for the catastrophe, the Ukrainian military is the one that profits from the flooding. On the morning of June 15th, the first Ukrainian assault group attempted to cross the river near the village of Kulaya Pristan. Four boats with not less than 40 Ukrainian servicemen attempted an assault operation on the Russian-controlled shore of the Dnieper. As a result, the first boat landed on the Dnieper bottom, while the others fled back to the western shore. Losses to the Ukrainian army are growing on a daily basis while its units are yet to achieve any victories on the front lines. In order to hide the truth and attempt to cheat in the battles, the Ukrainian military have purchased hundreds of Russian uniforms in order to film fake videos and trick Russian servicemen. 
The Russian uniforms were sewn by special order at factories in the Poltava region. Soon after Russian drones filmed the work of Ukrainian barrier squads, Ukrainian sources shared a fake video of a group of men in Russian military uniform allegedly killing deserters. The staged video was widely shared online. Up to 700 sets of Russian uniforms were reportedly brought to the Zaporizhzhia front, where Ukrainian militants are expected to attack Russian checkpoints and military positions, tricking Russian servicemen. Kiev also reportedly created two special assault groups of Chechen militants in the Sheikh Mansur Battalion to attack the Russian border Belgorod region. On the Russian side, the border security was recently reinforced by Chechen Akhmat forces. Chechen terrorists from the Ukrainian side disguised in the Russian uniform are expected to again attack peaceful Russian villages. That's from South Front, uh, very slick, uh, but actually gets the facts uh, from the battlefield that we're aware of uh, pretty right. Uh, there's some new information on there that's unconfirmed, so I'll point it out, the Russian uniform uh, issue. We have not been able to confirm on that, but it doesn't surprise me. Just, for, again, breaking news before we came on the air, the Chechen Russian commander in Belgorod has already made several statements that he looks forward to meeting the free Russian uh, militia or force, whatever they call themselves, that's been shelling civilian villages uh, uh, day in and day out, uh, uh, attacking targets that, that appear to have no military value uh, whatsoever. We condemn that on both sides. Uh, uh, those are war crimes, and uh, especially uh, if they're intentional targeting of civilian uh, areas that don't have military targets, that is definitely a war crime, uh, and we condemn that. Uh, the use of uh, uh, the other side's uniform shouldn't surprise you. You know, the, the side on the Ukraine side in World War II, you all know who they sided with, right? Uh, exactly right. And, uh, that side in World War II, the Battle of the Bulge, you'll recall, uh, killed several uh, uh, American soldiers from uh, one or two units uh, uh, while they were dressed in American uniforms and had trapped them uh, due to that and even used things uh, like the uniforms and jeeps and tanks and those kind of things to redirect traffic into the wrong directions along the lines of logistics and those kinds of things. Uh, and that's sad. It really is sad. But you know what? In warfare, uh, this is what happens. You know, uh, Mr. Putin should never have started this war. He didn't really need to. Uh, but unfortunately, the Americans and NATO gave all the signals uh, that Russia had said uh, were red lines for them, uh, like, uh, you know, wanting to bring Ukraine into NATO, uh, a supposedly defensive, defensive alliance, which is what it was in the Cold War. That's what made it effective in the Cold War was it was defensive only in nature, but it's conducted out of area offensive operations and offensive operations in uh, the NATO area. Uh, in the, the last two decades. So uh, very big concern for Russia, and apparently Putin had enough concerns where he was going to go in and uh, attack the Ukraine, and now the Ukrainians are fighting for their right to self-determination and their right to freedom. Uh, and uh, we're not opposed to that. We're just opposed to the American and NATO involvement that's bringing us to the brink of World War III. And on that note, Belarus now has Russian nuclear weapons back on its soil, uh, and uh, the Belarus president uh, said uh, when the weapons arrived there, he called a press conference and said, 
let there be no doubt, if we were attacked, we will use nuclear weapons to defend ourselves. Uh, uh, does that change the overall strategic calculus? I don't think so uh, from a nuclear force perspective, but it certainly changes the, the tactical and operational level calculus uh, in case anyone was thinking about attacking uh, Belgorod there. So let's see what happens there. Go ahead and bring up clip 1B and we'll review Million Newland. Good evening, everyone. Uh, a couple more videos that I need to put up here before I go live on Telegram in a short while. Uh, if you do want to come and join me there, uh, it's at the real truth. 1962, uh, which I'll be talking about stuff that I can't talk about on here. The most crazy uh, idea uh, that Victoria Newland had, somebody wanted me to talk about. So July the 12th uh, was meant to be the big push. And the whole idea was Victoria Newland was going to announce this at a big meeting they're having on July the 12th, uh, was going to announce this. Uh, where the, she was going to say they were pushing from the sea of Azov, where there was going to be this uh, concerted break through to the Crimea uh, land bridge and sever that. Uh, that was the whole idea, but the idea was they had to be at the sea of Azov, this is Ukrainians, uh, had to be at the sea of Azov by July the 12th. It turned out not quite so well. Having had all the arms and burnt through as much of it as they can, uh, the denazification process that Putin is undertaking is working terrifically well as uh, Ukraine continue to lose troops stupidly and many, many ordinary Ukrainians who are not in, the, in this uh, ethnic cleansing bunch of lunatics uh, are starting to surrender and go over to the Russian side and are waking up to the fact that they are being killed uh, for no good reason. Uh, they first of all have no air support so they're getting slaughtered and then because the west the germans and the british the challengers are not going in uh, because it would hurt uh, the reputation of those tanks never mind about the soldiers who are dying the reputation of the tanks is much more important isn't that crazy uh, because it, again you follow the money and you quite often come to the truth uh, the thing that has happened today obviously uh, over the last 24 hours where over a thousand people of uh, Ukrainian soldiers have been killed in one village uh, even the people on the Ukrainian side that talked to me said they've never seen anything like it um, and they've seen some pretty horrific stuff um, obviously I've just put a, a, a post up there about it obviously I can't go in and show the bodies because you know what will happen one of the trolls uh, will go oh where's the bodies I'll put the picture of the bodies up and then they'll complain saying it's gratuitous violence and then we'll get banned uh, we're a bit too clever for that okay so what I would say is getting back to this Victoria Newland story um, is this is the game all for her PR to be able to say we are doing this we are doing that uh, rather like she did in the Maiden Square only this time it's gone horribly horribly wrong and the USA has been left with egg on its face uh, but it doesn't care about the people. And there it is. Uh, we're going to talk more with our guest, Jack Vesovic of Human Events, uh, here right after this break. Uh, this is the Rob Mana Show on Red Voice News Media Live. Uh, you get the facts and the truth here. Uh, we try to bring you guests that uh, know what the heck they're talking about uh, and can bring us the information we need to 
ensure that you know what it is and that you can make your own decisions about what the narrative uh, should or should not be instead of following uh, the propaganda narrative. We'll be right back on more War Mondays at Red Voice Media. We love the Internet, but the Internet is tracking everything you do. Take control of your online privacy with IP Vanish. People with malicious intent are everywhere watching you. Criminals can hack your Wi-Fi while broadband providers and advertisers monitor your data. With IP Vanish on your device, your Internet activity is encrypted. No one can see what you're doing. Your location, your connection, completely hidden. Protect your Internet privacy today with IP Vanish. Do you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS? Have you been threatened with levies or have unfiled returns? The IRS is hiring 87,000 agents to boost IRS collections, and they have the power to seize assets, freeze bank accounts, and they can even take your home. Tax Network USA can help you today before it's too late. Our CPAs and certified tax experts have proven strategies that work for taxpayers time and time again. These same strategies have saved over $500 million in back taxes, permanently resolving tax debts for good. Stop collections and get relief today before it's too late. Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show here on Red Voice Media. It's More War Mondays, and uh, our guest today is uh, an old friend of mine, a veteran uh, intelligence officer from the U.S. military and the United States Navy. Of course, I've got to mention that. Uh, he, you've seen him on the War Room, on Bannon's War Room, on Mural America's Voice. He's the senior editor at Human Events and the host of Human Events Live now on uh, Real America's Voice, Jack Posobiec. Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show, and now we're live uh, four days a week on Red Voice News Media. Hey, Rob, it's really excited to be here. And by the way, congratulations on the new show. It's been awesome uh, to see you out there. And I just always appreciate, you know, you're giving me the cover fire on uh, on social media because, boy, we get into it with some of the craziest people out there. But at the same time, the information that we are trying to put out, look, just putting the tactical hat on sometimes, like other times the strategic hat yeah. to try to figure out what's going on with our world. And then, obviously, as, as you're— uh, as your last segment, you know, what is going on on the battlefield in Ukraine? Absolutely, man. I, I want to personally thank you. This is a little off topic for this theme show today, but uh, for going out to the Los Angeles Dodgers Stadium and leading that uh, that protest against those heathens, uh, those demonic heathens out there. Uh, and, and I want you to know personally that when all this started, I, I looked, and I'm a Southern Baptist uh, uh, by uh, faith, uh, I looked at my friends that are Catholic down here, and I said, today— and from here on out, we are all Catholic until we defeat these demons that are walking the face of the earth now. Uh, uh, and uh, God is on our side to do that. And Jack Wasobic, you're a warrior for that. Let's let me show you a short clip of uh, 
marvelous General Milley here, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the Ukraine and Russia and all of this crazy stuff going on. Go ahead and play clip two. So, Dan, um, it would be very premature to put any uh, estimates of how long time uh, on an operation of this magnitude. Uh, there are several hundred thousand Russian troops dug in and prepared positions uh, all along the front line. Uh, and uh, Ukraine has uh, uh, begun their attack and they are making st uh, steady progress. This is a very difficult fight. Uh, it is a very violent fight. Uh, and it will likely take a considerable amount of time and at high cost. But at the end of the day, as Napoleon once said, the moral is to the physical is three is to one. And uh, the Ukrainian morale, their leadership, their skill, their tenacity, their resilience is very high. Uh, Russian, uh, on the, the Russians, on the other hand, uh, their leadership is, is not necessarily coherent. Uh, their troops' morale is not high. They've been sitting in defensive positions. So many of them don't even know why they're there. Uh, so we'll see. It's too early to tell, but we'll see how this plays out. He's a lot more sober now, it seems like, Jack. I mean, uh, this is the guy that's been out here beating the war drums that, uh, you know, the Russians are worthless, basically. Uh, I'm paraphrasing that uh, right now. And uh, they don't have anything. Uh, they can't get it done. Uh, and now, all of a sudden, he's hesitant. What's going on? Look, look Colonel, I mean— there's been a lot of propaganda going back and forth in this situation, and we were told at one point, and, and you have to wonder if, if some of the soldiers taking part in this counteroffensive were told as well the same line about how uh, the Russian morale is breaking, they're falling apart, their supply lines are dwindling up, there's no way they can maintain this land bridge between Crimea and um, and uh, the mainland Russia that they've constructed, essentially their one—I say their, their biggest territorial experience expansion throughout this entire situation. And with uh, with that, you know, they put together this counteroffensive where they were telling us just a few weeks ago that Ukraine was poised not only to cleave that land bridge directly in half, retake the city of Mariupol, that is sort of the, the hinge point, if you will, right there on the Sea of Azov, but then mm -hmm. also that they would continue driving south and then become—at this point in the counteroffensive, they were supposed to be retaking Crimea. We were supposed to see the uh, the amphibious assault of Sevastopol, and maybe Yalta would be involved. Who knows? Uh, instead, we are now told—and this, by the way, in The Wall Street Journal, ISW, Kiev Independent has it—that they are now conducting an operational pause, an operational pause just two weeks into the start of their counteroffense. I've never heard of such a thing. You would think that if it was something like this predicated on NATO lines, you would think that you would see them driving forward as fast as possible. That's typically what you see in terms of this. But instead, what the Russians did with these eight months, because, of course, we were told by Zelensky for eight months. Yeah. So first it was the member of the winter counteroffensive, then it was the spring counteroffensive, and now it's the, well, it's, it's the counteroffensive. It's just the counteroffensive. We're not going to put a timestamp on it. Well, what did the Russians do? They laid minefields. They laid uh, they laid trip wires. They laid trenches. They laid out caltrops and dragon teeth, and they set up this fleet of incredibly effective and, by the way, incredibly cheap kamikaze drones that they've been able to use to great effect. And then in other cases where this arm that we're seeing columns of arm entire entire armor columns 
multiple mm -hmm. times now, bogged down by these minefields, that they're bringing in these KA-50s and KA-52 helicopters. And it, it honestly looks like they're sitting ducks out there because—and look, this is more your realm than me, the Navy guy, but— it seems as though a lot of this armor, these these Bradleys, these fighting vehicles, the German Leopards, it seems to me that they're much more used to being operated to operating at a combined arms, uh, a combined arms environment, infantry than armor, but of course backstopped by air superiority and air support, which NATO typically enjoys, because NATO, for the last 30 years, has either been fighting in the Balkans or fighting in the Middle East, where, by and large, there is no other uh, proficient air force, and certainly not one that's anywhere near the quality of any of the NATO, um, the NATO air forces, notwithstanding the UK and the United States. And I know, of course, I'm talking to an air force colonel here. Um, <laughs> but, but the idea that yeah. we would be able to treat the Russians the same way, I think, is just I, I think it's foolhardy. I think it's nearsighted. And I think it shows a, a severe lack of serious planning on the part of of the, whoever is behind this counteroffensive and certainly on the NATO leaders that have been pushing for this because to me and maybe you know maybe you can show me a tactical difference that I'm missing some piece of the tactical picture that I'm not seeing here because to me this seems like it's driven by politics it seems like it's driven by people like Zelensky and people like Joe Biden Joe Biden of course right now is facing a stiff re-election campaign and for some reason we don't talk about it but he is down in the polls president Trump is up and even in many of the polls even uh, governor DeSantis is starting to pull ahead of Biden when you go when you show the national head to head races, which is huge. You do not usually see a Republican winning in these head-to-head -head races. Now, he's not as much ahead as Trump is, but at the same time, uh, this is a president who is embattled. And I, I believe that he is going to—he knows that at some point on that debate stage, within a couple of months, he's going to be standing there with a Republican challenger. I do believe it'll, it'll most likely be President Trump. And President Trump will turn to him and say, you spent 20 hours riding the rails into a war zone, into Kiev, you sent $200 billion, you sent thousands of troops to their deaths. Why did you do that? Why did you push for any of this? And they have no meaningful gains for it whatsoever. Meanwhile, the Russians are up there, Putin's up in St. Petersburg flashing around this document. He said they had a treaty signed one month into the entire yeah. conflagration, saying that Look, we just want Ukraine out of NATO. We're, we're not going to give back Crimea, but we'll, we'll give you security assurances for the rest of Ukraine. We'll call all this off. Nobody else has to die. And he claims that this thing was signed by the envoy from Kiev, but then later the U.S. and U.K., headed by Prime Minister at the time, Boris Johnson, came in and blew the entire thing up. To me, it smacks of the political, but I, I, would, uh, I would defer to your expertise if there's some tactical piece of the picture that I'm missing. No, there's absolutely no tactical piece of the picture. As a matter of fact, uh, you came in late to the opening segment, uh, I think, Jack, because of your show. Uh, but uh, the the uh, what I showed was that Milley and Newland are now openly directing this military operation, and they're directing daylight daylight armor runs. That's right into Russian defenses that have been built over many many months now uh, that were built on top of the Russian speaking locals defenses that were built over years. Uh, and, uh, uh, and all of a sudden, uh, 
It's okay to do that in broad daylight with no air, no air whatsoever. They don't have an Air Force, really. Their air defenses are purely based on surface-to-air missiles, uh, anti-aircraft artillery, uh, and a few uh, uh, broken-down fighters uh, that they might still be able to get airborne, but I don't think they get them airborne. Do you ever see them? Uh, the ghost of Kiev died a long time how ago. Many, here was a question that I had over the weekend while I was digging into this, and there's, there have even been a few—I um, think Rand has it. Rand Corporation has a piece up directly speaking to Russian air superiority on the ground. My question coming back is— how many how many manpad units did we send to Ukraine in the early days of this the stinger missiles that we know that we were shipping those over by the crate where did they all go yeah. where did it because uh, dude, those it could take wonder, out a, a KA52 in 2 <laughs> seconds that's exactly what they're it's literally what they are designed to do and yet for yeah. some reason you you couldn't have one or two of those on every single one of these columns i feel like i'm missing something I mean, you're getting—you uh, uh, have tons of scrap metal uh, in, on the steps of the Ukraine there uh, that uh, are Bradley fighting vehicles, minesweepers. They've lost their minesweepers, man. You know, they went in to, to cross the, uh, the line of demarcation there to try to get at the Russian defensives, uh, which is about 10 kilometers deep from the starting yeah. point. Uh, and they've not even get, gotten close to that, but they're running right through minefields in broad daylight with no air support, uh, they, apparently those man pads, they don't have them because the uh, the APCs and the Bradley fighting vehicles are just getting plinked uh, as if the Russians have, have total and complete dominance, uh, whether it's from the air with uh, manned vehicles or drones or, uh, or artillery uh, or, uh, or missiles, uh, and they have just completely blown it, it's almost as if it's a replay of the attempts to break out of trench warfare in World War One when they finally got some rudimentary tanks over there. Uh, and there's tanks all over the battlefield that are dead now. There's been... This has actually been a—and something I'm, I'm interested in, again, you would know better than I, but I, I'm, Elon Musk even said it personally and publicly, as, as, as he always does on Twitter, that it feels like that because of the advances in targeting, because in real-time targeting, thanks to uh, loiter surveillance provided by these drones, in addition to their ability to be able to communicate directly with our guided artillery, then connected with—as uh, well as the use of these, uh, these drones— Kamikaze drones that they're, they're incredibly cheap to manufacture, um, and and Elon Musk asked the simple question: Is it potential that we're witnessing before our very eyes the end of tank warfare, or at least the end of these columns of of uh, smaller run? Because if you're able to do something like this without any answer to these drones whatsoever, obviously you'd still need armor if you're going to take territory. Yeah. But uh, we really need to be starting to look. Uh, at these tactics again, because to your point, it feels like we're watching World War One in reverse. We are, uh, we are exactly watching World War One in reverse, Jack. And uh, uh, we'll talk some more about that on the backside of this break. We got to pay some bills here. Jack Pasobic on the Rob Mana Show, Red Voice Media News. Uh, we're bringing you the facts and the truth, folks. We'll be right back.
It's a crazy world out there, and we're facing more uncertainty than our country has faced in a long time, if ever. And the most important advice that we can give you and your loved ones is be prepared. Most people don't realize they need something until it's too late. Whether it's a natural disaster, a sustained power outage, political upheaval, or God forbid, war. You need to be prepared. Don't put yourself in that situation. Have food and water on hand to provide for you and your loved ones during the worst of times. And then pray you never need it. Thankfully, we have just the solution for you. Heaven's Harvest has everything you need to prepare for the unexpected. You get prepared and you support a pro-America Christian company that shares your values at the same time. Everyone wins. And the best news is you also get discounts on emergency survival foods, heirloom vegetables, seed kits, water filtration and storage kits, and loads of other survival resources, such as guides on how to grow and preserve your foods. So get ahead, be prepared, and survive with a company that shares your values. And we have you covered with great discounts. Go to HeavensHarvest.com and use promo code RVM to save 10%. Again, that's HeavensHarvest.com and use promo code RVM to save 10% on your order. What is your uh, latest uh, view from open sources and from your own sources about the cause of the explosion in the dam and uh, in eastern Ukraine about 10 days ago? And who suffered more because of it, uh, the Russians or the Ukrainians? Well, the consensus appears to be that the Ukrainians did it. Uh, and I'm told that it actually was approved, if you will, for demolition by Victoria Nuland, oh. which is kind of interesting. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and again, you know, you have the intelligence officers. I think they've probably said something similar. Yes, but they as far have. As, but as, as far as who benefits, well, the Ukrainians certainly did not benefit from this at all. But I think it probably assisted the Russians because it, it, it created a situation where they had less to defend, obviously. And their left flank was effectively invulnerable to amphibious assault, even though I think that probably would have resulted in still more Ukrainian casualties. Would something of this magnitude, uh, I guess, if, if, if Victoria Newland was involved, I was going to ask you if Washington approved, that, that answers that question. If she was involved, Washington would approve of something like this. Does she who is not a military person get, in, as far as you know, get involved in the minutiae? Uh, of uh, military strategy? I, I have no way of knowing that, Judge. Uh, I'm just telling you what I was told by the sources that I trust. And it seems reasonable that if you're going to take a big action, any sort of big action, you're going to send uh, your special operations forces into Russia, try to assassinate someone, fly drones into the Kremlin or something, you're probably going to uh, ask your sponsors in Washington, what do you think? And that means that she's going to be involved. She's been involved in everything happening in Ukraine, really, I, I would say now for at least 14, 15 years, if not longer.
Welcome back to the Rob Mina Show and More War Mondays. We're talking with uh, Human Events host and senior editor, uh, Jack Posobiec, uh, veteran intelligence officer about the war in Ukraine. And uh, that little clip, Jack, was about uh, one of my least favorite people in this whole saga since 2014 and, be and before, uh, one Victoria Newland. And, uh, you know, reporting has it, independent reporting has it out there that she's, she's the one driving uh, the push uh, to do the race to the uh, sea of Azov to cut off the land bridge to Crimea uh, so that by July 12th, the premium offensive of trying to retake Crimea uh, could occur, which I believe as an air guy and a strategy guy trained by the Navy War College, not the Air War College, by the way, uh, that that's a pipe dream. Uh, that is a total uh, pipe dream. Uh, but it made me wonder when I saw the piece on the dam, because I've always thought the Ukrainians did it, and they had a strategic and operational objective uh, for doing it. Uh, did they think that that would really uh, 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 make it easier for them to make the run uh, a big armor uh, uh, pincher movement or part of it uh, down to the Sea of Asov to cut off the land bridge? Well, I think it's potential. I mean, there are a lot. Of, there's a lot floating around out there. There are even potential um, op words that people have have leaked, claiming to be the, in fact, the Ukrainian counteroffensive plan that leaked several weeks before this. That, mm -hmm. um, by and large, do track quite closely with what we've seen and do include this idea of a pincer movement. However, there's nothing in there about the destruction of a dam, and so. If that were true, it could only be because those initial days, those initial forays were pushed back so resolutely that perhaps this may have been something of an, a move of an act of desperation in order to try to cut off any potential Russian forces. And to be clear, uh, Russia lost a great deal of soldiers in the flooding uh, that were drowned because they were Russian defensive. Yeah forces all up and down that bank of the river. Uh, last year, my brother and I, as as part of a, a human events uh, trip, when we went down for uh, for reporting on my show on human events, that we, we, we took the night train to Odessa. We then traveled by car all the way out to Mikolaev, which is just on the other side of the peninsula from where this river is. Now, this is back when, the, when we couldn't get too close, because this was back before mm -hmm. the Russians had pulled out of Kherson. So we were within— couple of clicks of her son uh, close enough to where, you know, our, uh, our our minders, our driver said, we're, we're not driving any closer than that. So, all right, we pushed him as far as we could. And but back then, even that people have to realize it's a very small area. And because yeah. there aren't in southern Ukraine, you don't have the forest like you do in the north, like in Kharkiv. And so you you have farms, you have lowlands, you have flatlands and then you have rivers. There are no other natural obstacles or defenses. And in many cases, some of the. You know the the names of these these they say oh the Ukrainians took this village and this village and this village well that's that's essentially a farm settlement that's a, a couple of houses yeah. and and then a bunch of farms it's not exactly the same as taking one of these big cities and so to cut off the area you must control the rivers and that's exactly what Russia did when they pulled out of Kherson they realized that, that if the Ukrainians attempted to challenge them there they would have no way to resupply their troops if they blew up the, there were only two bridges and then. Again, the dam, which was in place at the time, we had come across the bridge that's on the other side of the peninsula. This is one of those stories mm -hmm. that makes more sense if you're looking at a map. Yeah. But 
Uh, this peninsula is very isolated, is what I'm trying to say. So the Russians, of course, maintained uh, uh, strong emplacements on their side because we've seen in the past that Ukrainians had tried multiple times to execute those same amphibious assaults that— um, that Colonel McGregor was just talking about there. Yeah. Specifically, they were targeting this nuclear power plant, the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. That was the same one that this reservoir that heretofore had been being used uh, to cool that power plant. That reservoir mm -hmm. is completely drained dry now. You look at this, it's mud flats, it's uh, it's walkable at this point. If you've got high enough boots, if you've got your uh, uh, your high waders on, you can go in there. And um, it's, it's even gotten to the point where some people People are are asking: Is it possible that the that Ukraine attempts some kind of um, quasi amphibious assault on the nuclear power plant itself across this now dried out uh, dried out reservoir, which is? Been essentially reduced to mud flats. I probably don't think mm -hmm. so because I, I think that armor probably wouldn't do too well <laughs> down in this mud. It'd be too much of a uh, too much of a uh, of a risk. But at the same yeah. time, the, those Russian emplacements on that river to prevent against any type of amphibious assault were completely wiped out in the flooding. And there have been, and mm -hmm. I've seen videos of uh, Russian soldiers with their, you know, with wearing their equipment. There's there's no way they'd be able to get out of that. So they lost a yeah. great many soldiers in this. And so for me, the and and many other reasons, I, it doesn't really make sense why uh, Russia would have done this. And then, of course, at the same time, you've seen Ukraine has targeted and made targeting infrastructure a huge. Uh, a huge element of this, whether it be the bridge in Crimea, which was blown up, that was the mm. bridge across the Kerch Strait connecting yep. uh, Russia, mainland Russia, to Crimea, as well as, of course, ubiquitous Nord Stream 2, this pipeline, which I don't think that anybody believes that uh, that Russia blew up at this point. And even in the New York <laughs> Times, they're saying yeah. that U.S. officials yeah. are, are are pinning it directly on the Ukrainians, though I I, I, I highly doubt that uh, that uh, there were no Western elements involved in that whatsoever. It's just, you know, I don't think the Odessa Diving Club is exactly proficient enough to take care of something like that. Yeah. Um, but taking out strategic capital infrastructure like this has been a hallmark for Ukraine. And I do see this as something that they would have attempted as part of this counteroffense to prevent Russia from using any of those forces or potentially redeploying them in a, to defend on any of these axes of attack. Um, when you're looking at some of the other vectors that have gone in, look, this operational pause and the fact that we have not seen the Minister of Defense Zeluzhny in public mm -hmm. in over a month at this point, he doesn't want his yeah. fingerprints on this. He wants Zelensky to be the face of this. Now, that's coming off the heels of the massive catastrophe that they just held in Bakhmut. Think of the tens of thousands of Ukrainian soldiers that died there for that yeah. city, which they're now all saying is completely, oh, it's not strategically viable. We don't need it anymore. All right. Well, those soldiers could have been used in this counteroffensive. Now you don't have them. Right now, you don't have those bodies, the people with that kind of training. And these platforms, by the way, these systems, I mean, we talk about stingers. We talk about uh, these tanks, these leopards. Uh, these require training months of training right. to become proficient on them i mean sure you can you can point and fire stinger missiles sure you can drive a tank across across a field but to understand how all these systems work to avoid mines to be able to use the targeting this all takes time and in, in the us you, you're looking at an 18 month pipeline before we take somebody from boot camp and then actually give them the opportunity just to train 
on one of these systems, uh, let alone actually have them go into combat with it. So the idea that they're going to be proficiently going up uh, against the, the the Russian armed forces in the field, I think, was always, uh, always doomed to failure uh, in this situation. And the idea that there could have been a negotiation, I, I would urge them strongly to go back to the negotiation table. If, if it sounds like he may be offering this deal again by bringing it up again, uh, it seems yeah. like something that would get us much closer to peace and a lot more people, or a lot less people, that have to go home in body bags. And again, of course, as I'm saying, on both sides, the Russians lost so many people in this flooding. But yeah. it's being driven so much by politics because Joe Biden ne desperately needs some kind of victory. Joe Biden views this as his ability to say, look at me, I was strong on the world stage. This is American leadership. This is America being returning to the global force again. That's what this is all about for him. And his credibility is going to be on the ballot in 2024. And even though it's a marathon, not a sprint, I do think that it's inextricably tied to the political factors that we're seeing at play at home in the United States. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. You know, uh, a lot of people say that uh, foreign policy doesn't really have that much of an impact on uh, national elections here. Uh, I disagree. I disagree when the country has been at war for over two decades, uh, 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 extracts itself in such an inept way, the catastrophe out of Afghanistan, and then immediately jumps itself right back into a massive logistical uh, and uh, resource-intensive effort uh, with this Ukraine operation. Uh, all of that is weakening. Uh, our country, uh, and then today reporting uh, that I was reading just before we came on, you know, about Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, basically saying that Joe Biden's ready to bend the knee to to uh, the Emperor uh, Xi. He may as well be called the Emperor over over in China uh, now. Uh, it, it's it's just absolutely incredible that we are in this situation, and it is political. It's about Joe Biden. Uh, and his reelection at this point. Uh, and it's too bad because, you know, my sources are telling me that all of these Ukrainian guys have done is uh, they've taken like three or four of these little villages that were contested uh, back and forth. Uh, right now, they tried to get into back boot and got their butts kicked. Uh, but one of those villages has a thousand dead Ukrainian soldiers in it uh, when they were attempting to take a thousand. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I was putting the numbers on when I, in my opening, uh, talking about 7,500 lost so far on the Ukrainian side in this operation, a thousand for one small village that has really no tactical or strategic importance and all using tactics that the Americans should be telling them and training. We know better. We know what's supposed to happen. Well, Jack, we've got to pay some more bills. We'll bring you right back. I know you got a hard stop uh, here in a few minutes, but I want to talk about this Africa Nations Peace Treaty and what you were just talking about. There might be another opening here. I'm Rob Manus. Welcome to Reagan Gold Group. We're glad you're here. We understand that you're probably feeling the pain of rising inflation and are worried about how it may be affecting your hard-earned savings. Thanks to H.R. 5376 passed by President Biden, many 401k and IRA savers are facing a nightmare. Governments are printing fiat currency at an alarming rate, which means that the value of your savings is being eroded day by day. However, there is a way to escape wealth confiscation. Precious metals such as gold does not depreciate over time and is a sound investment that keeps on growing. 
physical gold is not subject to fraud, and as inflation rises, so does the price of gold. It's an investment product that is renowned for its ability to hedge against inflation. I'm Leith Eaton, the Senior Account Executive here at Reagan Gold Group. We offer 100% free IRA rollovers with free storage, maintenance, and insurance for up to three years on qualified orders. We understand that your financial needs and goals may change over time, which is why we offer a hassle-free buyback commitment. This allows you to sell your precious metals any day, any time at the current market value. Whether you're looking to cash in on your investment, diversify your portfolio, or simply need some extra cash, our buyback commitment is here to support you. We offer a price match guarantee to ensure you get the best price for your precious metal investments. Contact us before making a purchase and we'll beat any competitor's price. We also understand the importance of the safe and secure shipping of your metals. That's why we fully ensure all orders ship to our customers with signature required. Book a free consultation with us now to learn how you can invest in precious metals and hedge your financial future. And for a limited time, we're offering up to $2,500 in free gold and silver. Don't miss out on this limited opportunity. Contact us today to take advantage of this amazing offer. Back to the Rob Mina Show live here at Red Voice Media Network, where you get the facts and the truth. It's more War Mondays. We're talking with veteran intelligence officer of the U.S. Navy, uh, Jack Pasovic, and human events daily editor and uh, host of the new live sh- TV show on Real America's Voice at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, right? Uh, That's right every exactly. Day. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for staying with us, Jack. You know, uh, I want to talk about this African Nations peace treaty issue that's came up over the weekend, you know, it's been reported on. I know both countries have said no, but some interesting things, you know, Mr. Putin talked about, uh, I saw a clip of him talking about how the Kiev withdrawal really wasn't a defeat. It was part of the Turkey Treaty uh, peace agreement that uh, they were trying to do at the time uh, uh, and those kinds of things. Uh, But we know that the United States put the kibosh on the first attempt uh, a month after the war started, uh, and that Blinken last week said, "No, we're not. We don't want peace and all that." Are, are they doing it again? Is that why Zelensky said no right out of the gate when he had previously agreed to a lot of this stuff? Well, remember, we don't. And people are saying that this is that Putin is the only one who's claimed that, but that's actually not true because the first person to tell us about this was not in Ukraine or Russia or Turkey. It was Naftali Bennett, the former uh, Israeli prime minister, who actually told the exact same story. He was talking on a podcast. He recently left office in Israel. They had this sort of rotating prime minister situation there, and then and then Netanyahu was able to get back in, but. So Naftali Bennett, who's not even running for office, delivered this essentially the same story to us, talking about a an agreement that had been made between uh, Ukraine and Russia. And here are the elements, right? And this is what we, what we should get down to a brass tacks. The elements were this. The number one, Russia had to pull off that, that massive column that was headed towards Kiev, uh, as well as pull out in the north. Russia, of course, did do that. Number two, that NATO would be off the table for Ukraine. 
that was obviously something that Ukraine at that point had agreed to. But we're we're also hearing again and again from the West, from Stoltenberg, from every single from Biden, et cetera, everybody else that no Ukraine will and must become part of NATO. But of course, when I asked Joe Biden about it at the golf course. Uh, that he was at on on last Saturday, he said, "Oh well, you know, uh, they're not at the level yet, and we got it. We can't waive the requirements, and it's going to take a long time, et cetera, et cetera." So that's Joe Biden. Uh, forget his handlers uh, are, are are said, "No, Joe, you can't say can't say that part out loud. You can't say that part on camera." But of course, the media doesn't even mention that he actually said that. And then, meanwhile, essentially, what they would what they would agree to was a security guarantee between the UK, the United States, Turkey, Russia, and wait for it, China. That they were going to bring uh, China to the table as well in terms of the security agree for Ukraine. Now, the territories, obviously, Donbass would have had to be um, would have had to be shaken out, and then, of course, uh, Crimea though would have been off the table. That was the situation that Naftali Bennett talked about. That's specifically what was delineated by President Putin at this uh, at the St. Petersburg Council that he was holding this weekend. Wow. Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, there's another opportunity. Uh, we have another opportunity. Let's see uh, how it shakes out there. Uh, but, Jack, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, real quick, before I let you go, where can people find you? What are your coordinates? Thank you. It's at Jack Posobiec on Twitter. And of course, as you said, 2 p.m. every day, we're running human events live. This is the show uh, where we're breaking all this stuff down in real time. It's fantastic. And uh, God bless. And thank congrats on the new show. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your uh, help today, and uh, we look forward to having you back on. And uh, that was veteran intelligence officer uh, from the United States Navy, Jack Posobiec, Human Events Senior Editor and host of Human Events Live uh, every day on Real America's Voice during the week. Uh, uh, let's go ahead and play uh, clip four, because quite frankly, there is somebody that needs a peace deal here. Я думаю, что на каком-то этапе будут переговоры. Может быть, это будет что-то Украина отдаст. Может, она отдаст территории там Донбасс, Луганск, может быть. И то я считаю, что может быть это где-то и правильно отдать эти территории, потому что население Донбасса и Луганска, оно полностью пророссийское. И хоть это и понятно, что это территория Украины, исконная территория и земля Украины, но людей там не поменять и не поменять их мышление, взять просто и присоединить к себе врага, который будет внутри твоей страны. That, my friends, is the Ukrainian Armed Forces military intelligence officer who's a lieutenant colonel. Uh, he's not a Russian. He's from Ukrainian. And what you saw there was him saying uh, that we can't uh, we can't change uh, these people down in the southern part of Ukraine where the Russians now hold territory uh, in the Donbass and, and all that. They're Russian-speaking, uh, and uh, uh, they need to have a say, and they need a peace deal uh, in order to build their lives back. Uh, it's been going on for far too long, way before the Russians went in there uh, uh, last year. Uh, and uh, uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, Victoria Nealon and her her uh, minions uh, were directly involved in the Maidan uh, rev color revolution and uh, everything else leading forward to this. And I still believe that's why President Trump was impeached for the phone call, uh, not just because he wanted to go after the Bidens, but because uh, the 
national security apparatchiks in the United States have been intent on uh, getting into this conflict for quite some time. Uh, and uh, quite honestly, there is one of the big guys that does need a peace deal. Zelensky said no right away. Uh, and uh, quite honestly, uh, it's, it's disastrous for him to say no to this African nations uh, agreement uh, because he's killing thousands of his men, thousands, unnecessarily. I don't think anything's really going to change. I will be very surprised. I mean, you never say never in the business of combat and warfare, uh, uh, but uh, uh, I will be very, very surprised uh, if anything changes that would include any of those occupied territories uh, in the South and Southeast, that are, uh, and Crimea is completely off the table. The Russians are not going to give that up. They've had their Black Sea fleet harbored there for over 100 years. Uh, and it's uh, going to stay that way. It should have never been given to Ukraine in the first place in the 1990s when the Soviet Union fell. Uh, uh, but Vladimir Putin doesn't really need a peace deal either. He's got very strong defenses. The Russians know what they're doing. They've been here before. Marvelous uh, uh, inept General Milley better uh, read some more about Napoleon and his disastrous failure trying to conquer Russia instead of quoting some ethereal, you know, words uh, uh, of his, uh, look at the facts, look at the facts. Uh, but there is one politician that needs a peace deal desperately, and that's Joe Biden. Uh, Jack hit on it uh, a couple of times uh, in his talk with us. Uh, Joe Biden needs a victory, even if it's a peace deal that holds things in place, he needs it. But the same machine, the same apparatchiks that are, have worked and continue to work to try to bring Donald Trump down are saying no to Joe Biden too. Secretary of State Blinken said it last week. He goes to China this week and bends the knee. It's not gonna happen unless Joe Biden steps up and acts like the statesman that he actually says he is and the uniter that he says he is instead of what he does, which is divides both here at home and overseas uh, and acts like a warmonger uh, who really doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, and the results are clear. Look at what happened in Afghanistan. Look what's happening today uh, with this offensive. The Ukrainians are losing. There is no doubt in my mind that they are losing uh, and the Russians haven't even left their defensive lines that they've spent many, many months uh, building up uh, yet. And it's a disaster. It's a disaster and it's very sad because thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children are losing their lives totally unnecessarily, totally unnecessarily. Pray for them on both sides of this conflict and pray that some of these numbskulls in charge will get it and take this opportunity again and do a redirect on this peace deal. I'm Rob Manus from The Rob Manus Show, Red Voice uh, News Media Live. We love being here Monday through Thursday at 3 o'clock Eastern for an hour of live. We get some great guests. We bring you the facts and the truth. Next up is Drew Berquist, and this is my show with Booze and Banner after that. We're looking forward to it. Enjoy the rest of your day. I will see you tomorrow. It's Training Tuesday.